If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. (laughs) I find myself often uh, saying, this is my favorite book, or this is my favorite chapter. Um, and I, I don't, I don't do it meaning in the sense of I'm meaning to just play around with that. I, every time I come to one of these passages, like we're going to read today, it really is a, a very important portion of Scripture. And it, what Jesus does here is is always beautiful. It's always meaningful, and it's always for us. It's always for me. And as we've been going through our small group. Uh, Bible study on Wednesday nights, it's just been rehearsed to me again, reinforced to me even, uh, that we need to apply the Bible to our lives. We need that. Every one of us. The Bible is for us. It's not just to beat people over the head with. It's not just for somebody down the pew or across the way. It's for me. It's for you. So I want you to hear these words as if Jesus was talking this morning to us. Because ultimately, He is. (laughs) He is. So hear these words from Matthew chapter 21. We'll start reading in verse 23. And when He entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to Him, and He was teaching, and said... By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, He will say to us, Why then did you not believe Him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. (laughs) So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And He said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. Keep in mind what Billy challenged us with last week about narrative, story. This is Jesus doing story right now. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let us pray. Jesus, 
We want to hear from you this morning. Help us to encounter Your face today. That face of love and of justice and of mercy and of grace. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Let me capitalize on something that was said from last Sunday. And that is pointing out the narrative framework within the Scripture. (laughs) You may say, well, you know, Marshall, Paul, St. Paul is very theological. You know, he's very systematic and and he's very teachy sounding. And yet, when you read Paul, even in these little short letters that he has, have you noticed how many times he refers to Abraham? How many times he goes back to Adam? How many times he'll talk about the law of Moses? How many times he'll refer to the incarnation of Jesus? The resurrection of Jesus? These are all stories from the Bible. He's not in this world of the metaphysical only, in the hypotheticals only, in the very teachy, logical stuff that we can't really grasp onto, that never really happened, but just as an idea. No, these ideas are lodged in history. In the history of Israel and of the church. In particular, Jesus Christ and His disciples, His apostles. And you'll notice Jesus in His teachings... Jesus even says at one point, I never teach the people except by stories, parables, illustrations. And so, just as the children just told us, they already mentioned two or three of the key movements within the story of the Bible. Adam and the fall. Abraham. And God's story of redemption starting to crank up. Moses, the revelation of God and His law and the way we are to live. David and the kingdom. It's where the kingdom of God comes into play. And in Jesus and His apostles and disciples. And our story today is no different Jesus is challenged on His authority as He often is, by the way, in Matthew. Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is the true King of the Jews. The Messiah that has been promised. Remember, Messiah is not just this messianic figure like what we would think of today as somebody claiming to be a Messiah, but rather it has regal overtones kingly language attached to it. And so when they think Messiah, they think king. And when they think king, they think ruler. And when they think ruler, they think overthrow of Rome. And as we saw last week and elsewhere in Scripture, Peter has it wrong, who the Messiah is. Others have it wrong, which is why he tells them to wait. Wait till I am crucified, dead and buried, and then resurrected and until I send the Holy Spirit 
to you because you don't know me, you don't know my mission, and you'll botch it up with your own kingdom ideology. So what I want to say to you today, and what I feel like God has spoken both to me and you, is that being in the Bible Belt is dangerous. We're lodged in the Bible Belt. You know, you drive down a couple miles from here and there's going to be a church, and then another church, and then another church. And everybody's going this... Well, not everybody, but lots of people are going. Interestingly, if you really run the statistics on it, we have nowhere near enough churches in this area to, to be uh, capacitate, if that's a term, uh, everybody in this, in this region. So, in other words, everybody wanted to go to church tomorrow. We learned this, by the way, after 9-11. 9-11 occurred in New York. There was no room in the churches. All of them were packed to the brim and people couldn't even get inside. Same thing in this area. But it feels like, doesn't it? It feels very religious. I mean, we drive down Hughes Road in particular. They should call it Church Street. You know, um, there, There's church after church after church. And, and we feel like, you know, hey, we just assume normally when we meet someone, oh, where do you go to church? It's not even really a thing of, of, of asking, do you go to church? It's rather, where do you go to church? I and mean, we're kind of a little shocked when somebody says, oh, I, we don't go. We've never gone. And so, being in the Bible Belt can be dangerous. Just as being in ancient Israel can be dangerous. Let me read something to you that struck a chord with me from Peter Craved in his book, How to Win the Culture War. Hear these words. But America has the most just and most moral and most wise and most biblically based historical and constitutional foundation in the world. Which is true. You realize that, right? We're the most biblically based nation in all of the world. I mean, that is the reason they came over here was to create a place where there was religious liberty. In particular, to practice a very conservative form of Protestantism. Which we'll be celebrating here in a couple days. Independence Day. Just like ancient Israel. Just like ancient Israel. And America, you'll say, is one of the most religious countries in the world. Yes. Just like ancient Israel. And the church is big and it's rich and it's free in America. Yes, just like ancient Israel. And so he says, if God still loves His church in America, He will soon make it small and poor and persecuted, just as He did to ancient Israel, so that He can keep it alive, pruning it. If He loves us, He will cut the dead wood away and we will bleed then the blood of the martyrs will be the seed of the church again, and a second spring will come with new buds, but not without blood. It never happens without blood, without sacrifice, without suffering. Christ's work, if it is really Christ's work, and not some comfortable counterfeit, never happens without Christ's cross. Whatever happens without the cross may be good work, but it is not Christ's work, 
For Christ's work is bloody. Christ's work is a blood transfusion. That is how salvation happens. Remember one of our readings said to listen to the prophets. It challenges us to listen to the prophets and not always listen to the prophets who preach peace, peace. There were many prophets in the day of Israel that preached, hey, we're going to be fine. Yeah, Assyria's out here breathing down our neck. We'll be okay. We have God on our side. We based our government off the, government off the Bible. We, our laws are actually the Ten Commandments. And we actually follow them. The Pharisees would say. They even put laws around the law so that they would never break the law. This is what Pharisaism is. A protecting of the law by laws. And yet, Israel withered. was dead. They didn't love God. Their heart, Jeremiah says, was far from God. Now you see what's happening here as I'm turning the table around on us and saying, we are Israel in the Old Testament. If you want to find us in a story of the Bible, it's in Judah. It's in Israel. And both of them are exiled. Both of them are disciplined. Now, I read a proverb. It was actually on my phone the other day. It said, Those who love discipline are wise. It's a summary. And then it specifically said, Those who um, do not choose discipline are stupid. That was the ESV version. I think maybe the KJV would say fool, but stupid. If God loves us, He will discipline us. He will prune us just like you would prune a tree, a fruit tree, or Jesus, a fig tree. Interestingly, right before our story today, Jesus curses a fig tree. You know, you don't know why? But man, He's been mean to the trees here. It's His creation. Well, it had leaves on it. It looked healthy. And yet there was no fruit. No fruit! Now stop and ask the Holy Spirit this morning. I look like a Christian. I talk like a Christian. I have all the things right like a Christian on the outside. People at work know I'm a Christian. I publicize it. I'm not afraid of that. And yet, I'm going to ask you, Jesus is wanting to ask, do you have fruit in your life? What are you really producing in your life? Harvest Point Church was born out of a vision to produce fruit for God's kingdom. I've been in church all of my life. I've seen people who have been in church all of their life, and yet, that's all it is. It's a show. It's something you do. It's a culture that has set in. Do you hear what I'm saying? Is It's dangerous to live in the Bible Belt. If we lived in India, if we lived in Somalia, completely different story. Your life would be at risk in certain areas in the life just for coming here. 
But for most of us, it's just a good excuse to go get lunch after church. To sit in an air-conditioned, cushioned seat. Building. I have to remind myself, and then Jesus tells me to remind you, (laughs) what are we doing this for? What is this? What is all the work? What is all the effort? What is all the time? What's all the words? If we're not doing His will. If on the inside, we are rot. Do you know that your heart can deceive you? Don't the prophets warn us against this? We can look like a Christian. You can smell like a Christian, whatever that smells like. You can sound like a Christian. But the only thing, and this differentiates us from from any religion in the entire world. I do teach for world religions, you know. I can say this with some authority, just a little bit. Is Jesus. He is what makes the difference in Christianity. It's not claiming to be a Christian that makes you a Christian. It's not going to church that makes you a Christian. It's not doing the things of Christianity that makes you a Christian. It is Christ Jesus Himself that makes you a Christian. It is Him. It's knowing Him. It's loving Him. If you have everything else and you don't have that, you have nothing. Amen. You have nothing. Jesus looks at this fruit tree and it has everything that a fruit tree should have except fruit. And He curses it. Israel had everything they needed, didn't they? God had set them up in the center of the world. He gave them land. He gave them a legislation, legislative system. A way to execute justice. A king. He gave them His laws, which were their instructions on how to live. He gave them a priestly line of people that were dedicated to serving God in the temple. He gave them a temple. They had everything they needed and they sat back and got lazy and got apathetic and then pathetic. And I look at my own life sometimes And I see the same thing creeping in. When it's easy to be a Christian, that's dangerous. (laughs) One of my favorite books, I I told you I say this all the time, is actually Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy is from a 120-year-old man. Now, How many of you have ever met a 120-year-old man? And he's at the end of his life, and he knows he cannot go on. This is his last sermon to these people who he loves, who he's been with. He's seen their mamas and daddies die 
in the wilderness because of their disobedience. They refused to enter the land. He watched their moms and dads die. And now he turns to the kids and he says, what are you going to do now? God has given you everything. And now He's going to give you the land. He's going to give it to you. You're not even going to have to do anything. And He tells them, let me warn you, Lots of warnings in Deuteronomy. Do not turn away. Do not forget. Remember. Hear. These are recurring terms all in Deuteronomy. If He's giving a warning, that means something can happen. We need to be warned. We need to be warned. We're in the Bible Belt. We just almost assume our Christianity and what a dangerous, stupid as Proverbs would say, thing to do. No. (laughs) You can know God. You can actually know God. Now sometimes I think it would be cool to meet some of these celebrities that I watch on TV or in sports events, you know, like Drew Brees and so on and so forth, which I have met him. I still don't know him, but I've met him. I think it would be cool. Sometimes when I find things out about him, I'm like, ah, never mind. Check that one off. But we're talking about God. God. He made every single person you've ever looked up to. He made your mother and your father. He made everyone in your extended family and beyond that and beyond that and the billion that are in India, the over a billion that are in China, the millions in Africa. <laughs> He's made it. And we can know Him. That doesn't even register up here for me. We can know Him. We can love Him. We can be called His friend. The friend of God. (laughs) And yet, we choose religion. Yet, we choose works. Have you ever known someone that would rather be busy with their work than have to deal with relationships? They literally would rather be working and doing something for people than relating to those people. It's the distant dad who sends the gifts but never spends the time. That's not what God is into. What gift does He need? (laughs) He has everything. He doesn't need anything from us. But He wants us. He wants us. He wants me. He wants you. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to know His love. The first sign that the Father approaches says, I'm not going to do that. I got too much going on today, man. He goes, lays back in the bed. And he gets to thinking, you know what? My old pops, if I don't do it, I know him, he'll get out there and do it. I'll go out and do it. Whatever. So he goes and does it. The second brother, he says, oh yeah, I'll get that taken care of, pops. And he's working on an inheritance thing, you know. I'll get taken care of, pops. I got you, man. 
And he gets busy texting his friends and never makes it out there to the field. Jesus turns to the religious leaders. That's who he's talking to here. The religious people. That's us. And he says, who did the will of the Father? Was it the one who said it and didn't do it? Or the one who said he wasn't going to do it and did it? They say, well, it's the first one, you know? Interesting, the I will not is the reply of all sinners, isn't it? And we've all been there. We've, we're one of the two sons here. Either you're, you've said to God before, no, no, not going to go your way. Just like most of the world has outside of this Bible Belt American Christianity. This one treated his father really with contempt. No. His father asked him to do something. No. Not going to do it. No respect. Tossed to the side. And yet after a time, he says yes. And does it. The other brother or son says, I will go, sir. Notice the respect. So one has no respect. The other has respect. And yet, he doesn't do it. He promised well he didn't perform. The danger is that some of you, and I've been praying for you. I want you to know that. I've been praying for our church. I've been praying for this area because there's so many people here that they respect God. They would never curse in the sanctuary of God. They wouldn't ever blaspheme His name. They stay away from the big sins. They make sure their children are going to church. But they don't know God. There's no fruit of righteousness in their life. That was me. That was me growing up in church doing all the right things, saying the right things. I mean, I have, I have a checklist that's pretty impressive of the things I didn't do when I was young. And yet, I threw that away one day for the real thing, which is Jesus. Now, were those things bad? Absolutely not. Was Israel bad? Was the whole project of Israel bad and God's Ten Commandments and the law? Was that? No! But we can turn anything bad, can't we? We can make an idol of anything, even Christianity. Because if we miss Christ, whatever you're doing is idolatry. It's putting something before God. My works, my righteousness... I put before God. I put before other people. And I had to lay that aside at one point when I was 17 years old. That was a tough thing to do for me. It's a scary thing. Because now I was coming into the real thing. Kind of like that old commercial. Remember the real thing? Coca-Cola? You remember that? Don't worry about it. The real, real thing is Jesus. He's the only real thing in life that can really make us happy. Same guy, Peter Crave, he says, he says, you know, 
a philosopher goes to heaven and he gets the opportunity to go to heaven or to go to a lecture on heaven and he chooses the lecture on heaven. Some of us do that. We would rather choose to know about God than know Him. There's a subtle distinction there. And it's one that I missed and I must tell you about. It is a danger. Growing up in church is not a bad thing. It's not, get out of church, you know. It's better for you to be a hellion. No, no, no. That's not what, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It was better to be in Israel than outside of Israel. And yet, Israel rejected God. This guy respected his father. He did all the right things. He said the right... He did not execute it. He did not do the will of his father. At the end of the day, he was not producing the fruit. So which one are we? Are you the one who in the past has rejected God? Or do you feel like you're on cruise control doing good with God? It really, you know, try not to say this to me, but it bugs me when I hear students of mine say, oh yeah, I'm doing, doing pretty well with God right now. What does that even mean? I'm doing pretty well with Jessica right now. It's about love. It's about knowing Him in here. It's about having God in you. That's insane! It's insanely good. We have lost our story because we haven't remembered His story. Our story must connect into Him or it will never make sense. We will be truly lost. God brought judgment onto Israel so that He might save some. Now, it's not that we are crazy and pray for judgment upon America. But let me tell you something. You better pray for yourself this morning because it is a danger living like some of us are living. Let me ask you which one's worse. Is it worse the person who says, you know, do you love me? And they say, no, I'm sorry, I don't. That's hurt. That hurts, doesn't it? When somebody rejects you like that, that really hurts. But what about the person who says, oh, I love you. I want you to spend the rest of your life with me. You say, yes, oh, this is great. It's going to be awesome. And they cheat on you. You say, okay, I can forgive that. And they do it again. And they keep telling you that they love you. No, no, I really do love you. I, I probably, it'll get better. I'm not going to do that again. And they do it again. And they do it again. And they do it again. Which one has the more evil heart? The one who has the right words, but is not executing? Or the one who just bluntly tells you? No. What are you doing to God? It's one or the other. Have you rejected Him? Point blank? Are you playing this sick game? This adulterous game? Now the good news is, we don't have to play either. You've been one or the other. You've been one of the other of these sons. But the true Son of God, the true woman of God, 
says yes, and their yes lines up with their actions. If you go back and study the world's religious leaders, there's only one other one that is unquestionable in his character, and that's the Buddha, Gautama, besides Jesus. Everybody else has very huge question marks that you really have to ask hard questions about their character. Because what they said and what they did does not match up. With Jesus, it's 100%. What He said, He was. Don't play that game that Israel played. You will get burned. Jesus can make our mouth match our hands because our heart is right. The heart controls both the mouth and the hands. When you have a divided heart, your hands won't do what your mouth says. You'll be a liar. And the father of lies is Satan. These are hard words. I don't like to say it to people that look as nice as you. That look as Christian as you. But I've played that game. It is a dead end. It only produces death. And when Jesus comes to you one day, and He looks and sees all your nice pretty leaves, but there's no fruit, what is He going to say? He curses the fig tree. Let's make sure today that our heart has not deceived us. Some of you have a divided heart, and Jesus can take care of that. The Holy Spirit comes to give us unity. He can make us one. We don't have to be this, you know, Jacqueline Hyde kind of thing going on. No, no, one. He can make us one, one with Christ. The answer is Jesus. Ask Him today to sanctify, to feel, to heal your divided heart, your double mind. And He will do it. He can do it. That's the good news. He can actually do that. That's why He sent His Spirit. Praise be to God, He can do that in us. We don't have to live defeated lives. We can live in victory. But it won't be through our own efforts. We must lay ourselves at His feet. We must do it today. Time is pressing. This morning I want you to take some time to make this place and this place a house of prayer. Amen.